Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oitari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who has truly realized the fundamental truth about children. I'm the Adam Glass, and yeah. I know kids. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I assume that the people listening will also know what the fundamental truth about kids is, which is we have to murder them all. Uh, it, was, it was weird, uh, because the way I, I realized that, finally, was uh, a few years ago I was diagnosed with gout, mm. and I started taking medication uh-huh. for the gout. And uh, and the medication just made me feel so good that I started abusing it, which is why it's a controlled substance, of course. Correlation is not causation, but uh, one could make an argument that the gout medication uh, pushed me way further left just because the time frame I was taking the gout medication. So oh, okay. maybe the opposite of the cortisone oh, as well. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah. It, didn't turn me, it didn't turn me into a fat, <laughs> fascist. But, I'm, uh, I'm fascinated by this because the cortisone thing, cortisone is just a steroid, right? And yeah. I received cortisone injections frequently throughout high school because I yeah. had a um, I had a, a problem with my feet that like caused massive inflammation, and the cortisone would like chill it out. Like, so I just got my. Yeah. So now it makes me wonder: Was I a raging? Ma- Maybe all those bad decisions I made as a high school student had nothing to do just with the cortis- with being they were the cortisone. Yeah. yeah, the cortisone. I should have blamed the cortisone. You should have. Uh, so two two things on that actually, and and then we'll we'll close the introduction. Uh, one, the uh, the medical article that this movie is based off of, uh, it was not a man self abusing uh-huh. cortisone. It was doctors trying to, uh, I believe, without the patient's consent, test the limits. Of how much cortisone oh, oh, a person could take. I gotta love doctors just deciding to experiment on people without any yeah. any controls. And two, Ray really, really uh, regrets naming the drug because mm. obviously it is a metaphor for uh, right. Right. Well, yeah. We'll talk, of course. We'll talk more about. I found what the... that unusual too, and that it wasn't a made up yeah. name. I was like, I t- I use that medicine as a person. Like, yeah. So it made me go now. Cortisone can. F- can mess you yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, in again, similar it's a steroid. To, yeah, it's a steroid. Yeah, I understand but, that, but like, I only ever experienced it in like, like doctor-controlled environments. I don't know how much you would right. have to fucking take to go like have a psychotic episode. I imagine it's quite a lot. Pat, before we get too much further into talking about drugs and our, our various Well, one can assume we're going to cut out a lot of the drug talk. But we should we should talk about our Patreon before mm. we talk about the movie more. They help us buy drugs. Patreon.com. Wait, that's yeah. not true. Patreon.com well, slash Lost in Criterion. You can, uh, you can go into my monthly drug budget. It's all tied to my bank account, so Pat Pat has no legal control over no, where I have, this money I goes. No, I don't and, see a dime. Let's be real clear here, people. Uh, you don't see a dime because you see whole dollar amounts that I send you to pay <laughs> the bills that are in your name. I don't see any dimes. It's all digital. I want only dimes, it. Adam. I'm sorry. I'm only not bags bearing of dimes, dimes across the world. <laughs> Why? It's not going to happen, Pat. Because it's expensive. I want it's you to spend the... more on shipping the money than the I would have to send you. Money. Yes, I'd have to send you half as many dimes just to be able to afford to send you dimes. It's it's worth uh, it. You're insane. You're mad. I am a mad man. You, you I, must it's be all stopped. the cortisone. It's all the cortisone. <laughs> oh, man. It's all the 
bourgeois ennui. Uh, but our anyway. favorite subject on this here podcast. Yes. Um, let's let's get through the ad. No, I refuse. Damn it, I don't see again. any dimes. No, let's do it. Let's okay. do it. I promise. I'll just uh, shut up. I'm I'm a problem. Patreon.com slash lost in criterion if you want to help us keep going. Uh the lowest tier is just a dollar a month, and that gets you some some pretty good access, I think. We do a bonus episode over there every month, uh, January through November. Uh, December, our bonus episode is publicly available. It's the holiday episode. But for those other 11 months, we do a bonus episode that is only available to Patreon supporters, and they get to vote on what movie we're going to watch. And we have some, some real fun over there, watch some really interesting movies. You know, it's... Sometimes stuff that should be in the Criterion Collection. Sometimes stuff that will only be in the Criterion Collection when the Criterion Collection reaches the point where all movies are. Yeah, part of the, the critical mass collection. point, the the sort of yeah. gray goo yeah. version of Criterion Collection. And we're 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 steadily marching toward that point. Eventually, all of our bonus episodes will be in the Criterion Collection. In that Criterion will finally recognize us as the foremost Criterion. <laughs> Right, podcasters. right, and they'll just add it. Like, wow, these and, guys know what they're talking about. And release about. a box set of, of our bonus episodes. Not so much because uh, they say anything useful, but they just won't stop, so. And we and we have to consume. So, <laughs> yeah. so just a dollar a month gets you that vote. Uh, it's always four movies and a theme, and then the fifth movie is uh, uh, Kazam, the 1996 children's movie starring Shaquille O'Neal as a genie, uh, which is really fun, and they've made us watch a couple of times, and I think they're tired of making No, I think they we've... It. We've we've discovered a problem it's, with our plan, which is now they don't want us to watch it anymore. Yeah. So they'll never choose the the joke one anymore. Well, the real the real problem is that we need to re-listen to the Kazam episode before recording the next Kazam episode. So I we're not can't. just having the I same can't. conversation over and over again. And I can't. I can't, I can't do, do that, that to myself. No, never going to do that. Ah, in any case, that's all a dollar a month. A little above that, five dollars uh, for folks who can afford it want to help keep us going a little bit more we greatly appreciate that and like to thank those people on air thank you so much to our current five dollar supporters andrew jarrett chris Otto, eric coronado and stephen goldmeyer thank you above that we do something pretty special once a month pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies that we watched recently i get that printed up on a postcard or a little personalized thank you note on the back and mail that off we also like to thank those ten dollar and above supporters on air Thank you so much to Adam Speakerman, Tracy McGrath, Nina Bojnak, Jason Westhaver, and Patrick Yako. Yes, thank you, everyone. If you want to see those postcards without signing up for the Patreon, you can head over to redbubble.com. Search for Lost in Criterion there. And uh, all the postcards are up as postcards, as greeting cards, as stickers. Uh, Shower occasionally curtains, as buttons. bath mats. No. <laughs> no bath mats. I don't think bath mats Gun are even cases. available. Shower curtains are. Oh, man, if... The stickers you Listen, can put on the if, side of a car for advertising your business. Well, you can you can uh, put any sticker on the helicopter side of a car. blades, uh, parachutes. <laughs> you really ex- stop, stop surfboards, body stop boards, promising boogie just boards. Because, just because Redbubble has <laughs> not had our back in the past does not mean you need to start. <laughs> you just start rumors flagrantly about them? accusing them of selling things they don't sell. <laughs> At least I picked interesting things instead of mean things, I guess. So if you do want to check out those postcards without committing to the $10 mark, you can head over to Redbubble. If you want to purchase the postcards for for uh, whatever sick and twisted reasons you might have for wanting yeah. greeting cards, um, you can head over there too. But uh, thank you 
for everybody who has shopped at the Redbubble and for everybody who's supporting us on Patreon. And thank you for listening. Pat, this week we're talking about our first Nicholas Ray movie, mm-hmm. Bigger Than Life from 1956. Are there a lot of his uh, movies Ray, in the in the Criterion Collection? I don't there, know. There are not. There are only a couple of others, uh, and we won't we won't get to them for a very long time. Okay, uh, that's I good think, to know. We'll f- I think we'll have forgotten this one by then. That's always a positive. Yeah. Our next one is In a Lonely Place, number 810, uh, from 1950. And 1948's so They Live by Night at, at uh, spine number 880. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, perhaps uh, Nicholas Ray is the only Nicholas in the Criterion Collections. That is interesting. Because <laughs> that's how I'm searching through the Vias. Huh. Uh, is this because everybody else a- was like by Nick? Did you maybe, search for Nick? Maybe. I didn't search for Nick. Why would I? Why would I expand I want, my parameters? If you're gonna drop truth bombs on me, you have to do due diligence. Nicholas Ray isn't even really his name. Is his it name is really? Raymond Nicholas Kinsey Jr. Well, that okay. Yeah, everybody in Hollywood. I understand that people go by names that aren't their names. Okay. Yeah. I get that. I meant like yeah, I would have typed in Nick just to see. Maybe you and I are built differently. <laughs> Apparently we are. I will. I will satisfy you. I will punch in Nick. There is not a single director in the Criterion Collection who goes by Nick. I think that's telling us something. We need to spend more time analyzing this. I need yeah. to understand why that's true. You go first. Tell me the answer. <laughs> I can't. I can't. There is no answer. Nicholas Ray is probably best known for the movie he made just before this, Rebel Without a Cause. Uh and I mention that because almost all of the bonus materials on this DVD yes. release uh, presuppose that I have knowledge of and interest in Rebel Without a Cause, uh, a movie that I have to admit I've never seen. I have not either. Uh, and honestly yeah. speaking, I've never felt any desire to watch. I I will say after watching these bonus materials, I do have some desire to watch. I mean, I guess from Um, like a meta sense, you might, but like, and I get that. I, but I've always had my only interest in it has ever been sort of meta in the sense that like people talk about a lot. It's a movie that get talked about a lot, and I think for whatever reason, everything I've ever seen of it slash when people have talked about like this just doesn't sound like my cup of tea. I could be completely wrong. I'm absolutely willing to admit that because I usually am. Uh, but yeah. Oh, you're uh, almost. I'm. I am almost exclusively wrong. This is this is a hallmark yeah. of who I am. Um, <laughs> right. But one must also understand that I am a man who is wrong and also of conviction. Yeah. So what I I don't know what I had thought Rebel Without a Cause might be that I wasn't interested in it prior, uh, but. A lot of the talk about Bigger Than Life from a critic's point of view that I have experienced in the last few days um, is that Bigger Than Life is sort of the adult version of Rebel Without a Cause. Rebel Without a Cause was about suburban, middle-class gangs uh, and focused on the teenagers. And this is Bigger Than Life is a movie about the adults in that right, world, right. basically. Yeah, and I get that. That makes sense. And I, I heard that in the in the bonus materials. I, I think one of my... I don't know if that's helped me because I just also don't like teenagers. So, like... 
I also don't like adults, and so like I, you know. Well, I have, I have really bad news for you about your kids oh, I'm and aware. the passage of time. Do you think uh, <laughs> that my feelings about teenagers has improved or declined? I was one, saw how bad uh, it was, and then also now I'm getting one. That's um, true. They're lovely people. They just need room to grow. <laughs> Or That's alternatively, they all have a congenital disease that they'll grow out of or be murdered by their father. Ah, man. I mean, at this point, your children cognitively are no better than the <laughs> African gorilla. <laughs> so. African. I, I, I have to admit, that scene is pretty... It's enjoyable. I, I In fact, quite a few yeah. of his scenes where he is ranting and raving are pretty enjoyable, especially given... He's absolutely wildly over the top accent. Yes. It it just comes <laughs> off so much more shitty with that accent. Like that accent is the perfect phrase to yeah. call a person's child no better than an African gorilla in. It really is. James Mason's great here. Um so it's it's maybe interesting the sort of run that Criterion has had us on. Uh-huh. It's two weeks ago we did Make Way for Tomorrow, which is from the 30s and sort of it's it is important to the plot, but it is not the main story of uh, middle class spreading itself too thin, right? Mm-hmm. Of uh, of you know getting extra jobs and and side gigs. Uh, in order to maintain, right, 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 the lifestyle or or just the uh, the appearance of the lifestyle. Um, and then Which last one week, could argue are, are the same thing, right? Those are those are yes, the same. Yes, thing. yes, right, right. The lifestyle is appearance. Um, so uh, last week we had Dillinger is Dead, which is an Italian movie, but very much about. Well, last week we ended up having a pretty extensive com- conversation about whether or not Ennui exists today. Yes, which still and, a, 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 yeah. was a great conversation. One, one of the things I said in that that I think we didn't really sit with as much, but I, I distinctly remember saying, was that where Ennui manifests today is just fascism. Uh, and here right. comes Nicholas Ray in 1956. Just doing that? Yeah, saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Saying, hey, by the way, Ennui is always manifested as fascism. Right, yeah, you just, absolutely. You just have to be willing to see it. Well, and, and, um, and yes, and I and I would agree that, like, you know, his, his analysis is pretty spot on, right? Because, like, yeah. and if we look back at some of those other movies and the sorts of, like, decisions that our other Ennui havers are taking they're of they are they are obviously roads that would lead you to a sort of a would eventually lead you to a fascist sort of decision making paradigm right, right. right? and of and of course and you of, know yeah of course if we take a step back and we recognize you know ray is making this film uh sort of in the first decade or so of uh middle class white suburbs in the US mm-hmm. and if we look at the impetus to what created middle class white suburbs in the right, U.S. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we can see that it already was fashion. Right? Yeah, because no, it's white and, flight. And, and, right. And I <laughs> and I got I did know that when we were talking. Yeah. Like we all knew that as a sort of right. ground point. 
It was more like the fact that, like, you know, I guess probably what we end up with is like I'm we've we've encountered an ennui as a topic in places that aren't America, nineteen fifty. Like right, and, right, and right. so, and I'm less familiar with the sort of groundings in which though with that in which that ennui is taking place, and therefore less. And I was kind of mentally there less than like, obviously something like the swimmer or something like that is about ennui in a place that is inherently a fascist sort of utopia that that, right. that was like cooked right. up, like so like, and 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 also, the thing is what it's hard to get a grip on because. You and I grew up the way and when that we did. I didn't choose to go live in the suburbs. I was right. born in the suburbs, right? I didn't like, I, but, but, and so like people, and then even when you look at my parents, I don't think they chose the suburbs because that was like, ah, I can stay away from the black people. It was sort of already right. the default choice that existed as like the place you live, right? So there was a group of people who were who at like obviously that was the impetus, right? But like I don't know how much that plays into the logic of your average person in 1990 for choosing right. like it, it yeah. was a, it wasn't it's, even a question of like well where else am I going to live, right? Because as as you know, part of this dismantling meant that there were kind of no other places to live. Right. And you know, with your your dad's job is also one thing that would would guide where you ended up right. living. Um, that is not to say that that your dad's job said, "Hey, get a house in this part of." I mean, it did say get a job in this, as in this town, to, and then we or, chose the one that was the, where we could afford. Right, like right, 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 right. Um, you know, my dad's job is maybe a little different in that. I don't know. In a lot of ways, I think the sort of Protestant minister that my dad was in growing up is a service class to oh, yeah. a suburban yeah. white middle-classness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, and like any service class, he was paid significantly less than he should have been. Right, right. But, uh, <laughs> and that, you know, that still rolls back to choices that my father made. But, um, but yeah, you know, we weren't, we were going to these places because they were where my dad could get a job. Right, right. But the forces that, in the field that he chose to be in, but the forces that made that the field he wanted to be in and the jobs he could get were, you know, ultimately foundational. And that's, I suppose, what I, what I mean in bringing all of this up is that we do have a tendency, and even, you know, you could see it last week that we have a tendency to talk about the current state of things to, to, you know, mentally we know all of this is founded on terrible things, right? Uh, you know, take the United States for instance. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. The foundation is inarguably, uh, a, a bourgeois slaveholder class right. that yes. wanted more power. Uh, and, uh, you know, and we can, we can mentally acknowledge that, but so often the conversations we're having day to day about the current state of things, divorce it from its foundations. Right. And, and well, and, and I think that that, yeah, that you're, you're not wrong. You're definitely right about that. 
it, it's yeah. that's also really a challenging thing to accomplish. And for example, in our in what we're doing here, you run into this problem where that that could be such an all consuming effort that like oh, you, yeah, you kind of kind of like can't move past it. Not that you not you should, but you kind of like can't like. If we were going to, like, you know, our discussion of on, we should have acknowledged more of that, for sure. Uh, right. Because that's, like, right now, that was an opportunity to dig into that, and we didn't, right? Um, right. But, but you know, something, like, in general, it's, like, well, like, you know, the terrible stuff all has roots in other terrible stuff, right? And so we yeah. can kind of, like, always now, dig further back on that. Now, of course, if we had dug into it last week, what would we talk about this week? So um, Good point. We have to. We yeah. we are nothing if not content farmers, and yeah, we, we need to save some amount of content for each week. We have to put yeah. a little buy. We are with the ant, we, not the grasshopper. Uh, of yeah. we laid of bad we laid a foundation farm. last week. We yeah. laid a foundation last week that we can we can dig into a little more yes. this week. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, also it's another example of Criterion give us like little mini sets that I don't know if we're purposeful or not. I can't never. Is, I have no yeah. idea. This is the most baffling collection in the history. Again, we come <laughs> yeah. down to the fact that like it, it it is baffling, and I think it's just coincidence more than anything. I think it's mostly just it's always a hey, what can we get? Like what right, things right. do we have access to? What things? What deals can we strike? We have a list of things we want to get. And hey, like these these things are available right now, kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, almost certainly. You know, and and we're talking about over the course of. I think we're still at a point where where it's really down to one movie a month, one new title a month in the Criterion Collection. So, right. So it's three months in a row. They're not even. They're not like they're released back to back, and there might be some thought about that, but they're also paced in a way where these sort of micro themes are not necessarily something that could be consciously right. Yeah. uh, Put together. So I don't know. I, I do think though that make way for tomorrow, uh, Dillinger is dead and, and now bigger than life do have enough thematic meat together that they make an interesting set. I, I agree. Uh, I think, I think uh, Dillinger is dead and uh, bigger than life have a little bit more to particularly. To, to, yes. Bigger than or, um, um, make way for tomorrow is an interesting one to have in there. And I agree that it matches in some ways. It just feels it's so not as interested in that. It's much more interested right. in that family dynamic. You can still see it in there. Right. And like it, it in that family dynamic is partially made up of these sorts of things but uh it's just yeah the other two are like way more on the nose for each other right one reason that sticks in my mind as as a full group i guess uh is you know part of the the subtle politicalness of make way for tomorrow that we discuss right is that it comes out at a time where it is uh it's social security propaganda basically right. yes, yeah. without without naming the Social Security Act in its in its text it's at all. It's pretty obvious, yes. Yeah. Um and you know, the uh the 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 social safety nets of the New Deal are are a double edged sword in that they did a lot of building uh to make America more of a culture of care. But at the same time, they themselves were used as cudgels by 
white people in power to uh to still lock out non-white people right and, from, and we're and we're power. noticeably designed in such a way as to that they could be, be. <laughs> yes yeah we're designed to be that way and then also contain within themselves that like are like perfectly balanced to be like good enough to get enough people on your team that hey maybe the the, the strikes and the and the unrest will end but without right. like going far enough to actually like fix any problem they're band-aid right we talked about this last week yeah we talked about them yeah. as being a band-aid on the contradictions inherent to capitalism and like as a band-aid they only cover up exactly they only cover up what they need to right they, they only go as far as they need to and and only that far right right yeah um i mean they weren't they weren't a cortisone shot to uh to the heart I mean, they didn't uh, turn. They, for sure. I mean, well, did they turn America into a bunch of <laughs> raging maniacs? Uh, mm. Hell bent. No. Apparently, as far as I can tell, on killing children. I feel like you <gasps> could make this argument. I, again, uh, I've already, I've already used the phrase once in the podcast today, but uh, correlation is not causation. I think America was already on that path. That's and- true. Although, although the, uh, I think you, I think you could make an argument about, about it. I think you could make an argument about the way the social safety net only functioning for white middle class Americans for the most part leads to yeah. a a sort of blase attitude in the political body that allows things like unchecked, you know, gun violence and stuff to sort of grow oh, and build. I, I I'm not. We don't need to do that because I'm not going to do the research. It's not going to happen. I got other things. To do. <laughs> right. 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 We're just going to throw out. If you a like that idea? Run with it. Go do the research. Please yeah. enjoy yourself. Yeah, and uh, let us know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hey, Twitter yeah, for sure. I don't know. Absolutely. Tell me. Yeah. What was your? What did you come Sounds up? Sounds great. Yeah, I'll read your paper. Um, maybe. Yeah. Probably. Probably. <laughs> uh, so this movie was a uh, box office flop. Uh, <laughs> which, uh, which <laughs> okay. is awesome. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Which is also true of Make Way for Tomorrow. Yes. Of, uh, you know, they are, I don't know, uh, I think Make Way for Tomorrow, I think, comes out at a time where people want, wanted escapism and didn't right. want to be reminded of uh, their normal life. Uh, this movie is actively trying to hold uh, a mirror up to American society. A broken mirror, in fact. Uh, we get that image in the film itself. Right. Uh, but, uh, uh, so, yeah, I don't, you know, this is... We did I, the swimmer for a bonus episode, and I can't remember if the swimmer did, was a yeah. I, was a I was thinking not, the exact but, same thing. I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, man, I wonder if this is a box. That was a box office. It would seem like it would be right, just yeah. because like it's even more. It's it's even more kind of I I. This is a more intense movie that's like more on like exciting than the swimmer. I mean, the swimmer. We we talked about the swimmer. I'm not complaining about the swimmer. I'm just saying it's a that movie is a slow burn. Uh, right, right. Like that's right. a <laughs> that movie is a very slow burn. This is not right. Like once you get into psychotic cortisone land, you're pretty much in psychotic cortisone land, and like you get to just enjoy that ride. Um. So you know this I is kind of I, I you know I'm actually kind of surprised it was a box office swap. If I'm being honest. Um. Yeah. Mainly because I feel like this would be a 
movie that people would be interested to see. I don't I don't know. It doesn't feel like it would be a flop, I, honestly speaking. I th- I can see where you're coming from because I think what I mentioned in the introduction about Ray being uh having regrets about naming the drug. Huh. Because he names it as cortisone and because it is based off of a news story about cortisone. Uh I think there is a way to see this movie as a tabloid melodrama uh-huh. that people people would go to see about the dangers of prescription drugs. Yeah, but people love that shit. Uh, uh, and people do love that shit. Yeah, that's why that's right. why I can that's see why I don't understand about being surprised as a flop. Um, so maybe just people saw through <laughs> Ray's whole thing, maybe, and, and read the film for what it was supposed to be read as from the beginning, and were like, "Hey, wait a minute." <laughs> Do you okay. middle class white I people? Have, middle class white people are the people who go see movies. What are you doing to us? Uh, right. See, that's what. Okay. See, that's where I wonder honestly. Um, Rebel Without a Cause was presumably not a box office flop. I have to assume. I don't. I don't know. But everybody just loved James Dean. But well, who knows? But that's what I'm saying is 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 to a certain extent the fact that Rebel Without a Cause is aimed at a group of people that no one who sees movies gives a shit about people attacking. Yeah, is like allows it to succeed, and then this one very be very clearly being um, aimed at a very specific group of people. It's also possible that people just if this is if that if Rebel Without a Cause, I have two theories on this. Sorry, organize my thoughts. Bad. Um, the other possibility is that people had decided that Nicholas Ray was the Rebel Without a Cause guy, and because of that, had decided that like the, his movies just aren't for us. Maybe. Because I will say that or, one of the reasons I mean, I've never seen... Maybe it's just the Go ahead. just the power of James Dean, right? Everybody wanted to see James Dean. That, yeah, well, that's also game. possible. Like, that's To me, one of the reasons I've never seen Rebel Without a Cause is because it has so much cultural cachet, but in all the ways that I'm just not... We're never very excited. It's like, to this day, yeah. like... Things emulating James Dean in Rebel Without a Cause as a as a style and stuff felt like they were prolific throughout most most of my life to the so it sort of almost turned me off of it um yeah i mean it made one for it made oh that's weird i have i have no idea if it was a box office slot reception uh i'm not gonna be able oh to you're, a, this. you're i don't know how to read at rebel i've forgotten rebel's got a very long reception area. yeah that's rebel was nominated for multiple academy awards rebel was was highly praised and highly accepted, and people loved it. And it wasn't just a critical darling. Uh, audiences, yeah, second biggest again, box office that draw is... that year. Yeah, yeah. So you've got you've got James Dean and Natalie Wood in it. People are gonna go see that. Right, movie. right. So like, yeah, uh, it, it just you wonder what what the sort. I guess maybe people, maybe it is just James Dean draws people to that. So like, it's it's a sort of an outlier in, in a way that so. James Mason and Walter Matthau do not which uh, I Barbara, wholeheartedly Barbara disagree with yeah oh absolutely Walter um, Matthau is a reason to see a movie for me 100% yeah no questions asked yeah uh, American critics panned this film uh, okay. according to Wikipedia calling it melodramatic movie. and mm-hmm. heavy handed I mean it is um, quite melodramatic well, let's be very clear they were they were certainly uh Listen, the, the 1950s 
critic class who are certainly addicted to what this movie is actually using cortisone as a stand-in for, almost certainly. So uh, Bosley Crowther, our favorite from the New York Times, uh, called it tedious, dismal, and more pitiful than terrifying to watch. Uh, However, um, all the Cahuas de Cinema guys loved this movie. I can see that. I... Uh, yeah. Godard called it one of the ten best American sound films ever made. Uh, I don't know if I would go that far. They, but. <laughs> they seem to have devoted multiple issues of the magazine That's to okay. it. Uh, Godard said, If the cinema no longer existed, Nicholas Ray alone gives the impression of being capable of reinventing it. And what is more, of wanting to. Uh <laughs> Truffaut, uh, to anyone who would reject uh, Hawks and Nic- <laughs> Howard Hawks and Nicholas Ray, I make so bold as to say this, stop going to the cinema, for you will <laughs> never know the meaning of inspiration, of a viewfinder, a poetic intuition, a frame, a shot, an ideal, a good film, the cinema. Uh, yeah, Romare loved it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I uh, get it, right? Like, it... it- plays with a thing that a lot of um interestingly enough right there's this thing about like those kinds of groups of people uh at the time that were kind of focused on how toxic american sort of the american oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh suburban like Listen. you know bourgeoisie right. class was right and i think to a certain extent i it's a good movie i'm not disagreeing i don't know if I wonder how much of their praise comes from how because they just really like how much it's attacking this obviously bad thing that exists, this obvious poison in the world, right? Uh, it's a good movie, but like that's that's a lot of praise. I mean, and does a lot of really interesting stuff. I just don't know yeah. if it's the best movie I've ever seen. That's all. And they seem to, they seem to, they've yeah, decided I, well, it was. Okay, the, I feel like the they're being a little guys are, are generally. They're one, yes, they're always being hyperbolic. That's true. But but they are also talking about Ray's wider career too. Right. right? That, that's uh, yes, and, that's also and this there, film. Right. And, yeah. Right. Uh so, you know. I don't know. I think I think their their love of Ray and Ray's style uh can certainly be seen as influential. And I think, you know, we both admitted neither of us have seen Rebel Without a Cause. No. But I think that sort of uh, middle-class teenage gangsterdom uh, is definitely something that we see pop up in the earliest French New Wave Right, yeah. We, we definitely to know our chagrin. that, that, that uh, yes. And that, to a certain extent, that's only played into my, <laughs> into my, my, my yeah. logic and processing on this is that, like, Rebel Without a Cause was very very clearly um important to these same folks right. uh in in a pretty obviously meaningful way right and so it we see that style keep sort of popping up right because the cortisone is such an obvious metaphor for the values of the society mm-hmm. that this family is living in the movie obviously invites us particularly with how it ends the movies invites us to think about this family outside the confines of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. We'll get back to how it how it ends 
certainly. Um, so to an extent, I don't know if the introduction of uh, of the cortisone functions in in a way that makes sense for the metaphor. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. In I that know. that cortisone addiction should be everywhere always. <laughs> in the right, in the I know what you mean. Yeah, it, uh, it is. It and is, I suppose metaphorically, it is. But right, I mean, what I guess is, um, I guess the problem is, is that the movie needs, like, like a lot of stories about, like something that is wrong in society. You need to, you need some sort of juxtaposition to like help highlight it, right? So, like, right. yes, in the metaphor, it's everywhere, right? Like, everybody all the time. Uh, but in the um, in the movie, to make to make his the sort of psychosis that this is apparent, you need it to be framed against people who aren't suffering from the same problems, right? right? Well, because the, otherwise, actually, you, you know would ev- otherwise everybody would be that dad at the PTA meeting. That's <laughs> like fuck right. yeah, this guy's right. We gotta beat the right, shit right. out of those kids. Yeah, which is the actual um, American answer to the question of what do we do with our children, which is abuse them. Well, maybe, maybe I'm wrong that there is there is a change that isn't just his disease. You know, because they are because they are struggling, and he is working two jobs. Uh, but there's an aspect of the side gig that bridges the suburban urbanism gap. Right. Yes. Yes. Because I he's mean, going, he's, he's going. He has got his foot in both worlds. He is doing a a yeah. a service, a menial service job, and, and then bear in mind the teacher is is interesting in this as a choice to start anyway, because it's already the sort of job that even in the 1950s can't necessarily pay all your bills. Yeah. Uh, you the know point I mean? where he tells the where he tells the doctor, "I can't afford this private room. I'm a I'm a public school teacher, not a plumber." Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't, I don't have a trade union. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not yet. Uh, right. But anyway, yeah. So, you know, he's... And in embracing the cortisone, he also rejects... Like, his right. financial strengths, they, they don't away. change. In fact, they get worse. Right. The, the movie, uh, the movie so, as a as a representation of of, of fascist mentality is yeah. perhaps the most gorgeous metaphor you could ever come up with. I will be hyperbolic about that because he immediately the things that got him into the situation have not changed. The circumstances have in right. no way changed, but his viewpoint has radically shifted to just not caring about that and be more concerned with like weird you know problems of difficulties of social order and stuff right like he's right, still right poor he still can't afford it. in fact he's spending more money on this this is i mean you because america is the place it is this also bring harkens to mind as a sort of side note the people who are who like that thing where people are struggling financially but they have just a shit ton of out of military hardware like guns and stuff you see that oh, yeah and yeah. it's just a thing, right? Because it's it's in your head, and you just start like, "Well, I've got to just, just keep just keep going." Just the path is set. I've just got the path. Just follow the path, right? Like it's, um, you know, he's, which is just another expression of the same thing about fascism, right? Like it just is, right? Um, but, uh, 
yeah, no, he's it. It is fascinating, right? And he he rejects the things that he was doing that would that were his answer to the problems, right? And now he's gone to right. the new answer, which is this this right fascist revolution. But it also in I don't know now I'm now I'm stuck on the on the taxi job as as its own like sub metaphor about community, right? He's at the center of uh of getting people around in a, in an urban environment. Um, and of course there's also, you know, in place into the ending again, what the one taxi driver tells him when he shows up that says, keep me in central because if you send me even anywhere close to the track, I'm going to fall into addiction. Right. And that Uh, will be you. My addiction will be your, but you did that to me. Yeah, yeah. no, totally. Yeah. (laughs) You did that to me. Right. Um, and I don't know. I like, on the one hand, that that it's kind of a throwaway line from a throwaway character who we'll never see again. Uh, well, I guess we do see him. He's the one who comes. He's he's the taxi driver who comes to visit oh, is he? In the hospital. Yeah, I'm glad you knew uh, that. <laughs> right. Um, I'm glad. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure it's him. I mean, I think you're probably uh, right. I just. You're not going to get yeah. that kind of conservation nuance. of character suggests it would have to be right. him You're, because well, it would be him it or the boss. the boss. Yeah, I, I don't know because yeah, I but the guy who shows up in the hospital so has has a cab driver hat okay. in hand. So right, yeah. I I know face so good. So uh, thank you for your for right, your assistance right. on this. Right, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, so so one one might gutturally make the reaction. Well, it's not it's not Ed's fault if you start gambling again take some personal responsibility uh but but, but it, it is it, it sets the tone well it helps i would argue that its main purpose is to um set the tone which is they're going to put him on cortisone again like yeah. he's going to like that's it's setting up the ending right it's setting it's establishing right. very early in the movie the ending that like he's going to fall off the wagon again yeah this is uh, this is his life forever now Right. Because his choice is, is die or keep doing this over and over again. And you better believe that he's it's going to only be easier the second time, right? It's just going to – because he already knows what all yeah. that feels like. He's just – it's – and that's true for the cab driver, right? Like it's – it every time it gets harder because it's already just that much more in your head how that makes you feel when you fall into that, right? Um, right. You don't like yourself, but you – but you also know how you feel, and and that's just Ed's life now. And that's then the, yeah. the movie's like, hey, it's this or he dies. So which yeah. do you choose? Well, well, then maybe there is there is my least favorite thing in the movie. Then, in that if if I respect what the cabbie is saying, that it is in some way Ed as a focus of the central community. It is in some way Ed's fault if Ed puts this guy into an area where he can be addicted. Ed is the controlling factor. And the end sets up uh, Lou as the controlling factor for Ed's drugs, right? That's what the doctors tell uh, her. Is I, that would, she'll I have would argue to... that the movie is, t- is talking about the doctors, not the—, the Yeah. Not, like, she's the instrument by which— like, 
it, I, this, they're, they're, this movie also hates the doctors, though. Yes, Let's it does. It, does. it very <laughs> clearly does. The doctors are gangsters in this movie. The doctors are incredibly misogynistic. Yes, uh, in this movie, right? And, and I think that's all refusing to tell Lou anything. Yes, yeah. the first time, like, well, that's what I'm right. saying is that like the the and the movie has a lot to say about things like masculinity and stuff that are really pretty interesting yeah. and like much of what gets Ed into this situation to a certain extent and how bad it gets is. We see Ed immediately falling into very, very specific, like common masculine paradigms. Oh right? yeah, like, yeah. He won't go to the and doctor. Like, his all of his problems come from the fact that he will not tell anybody what's wrong with him. Right, right. And then you could also then, back that up a step and say it's actually because he can't afford to tell anybody what the problem is. And hello, we're back right. to capitalism. But right. but Ed's response then, to those problems are are grounded in a lot of masculine identity that like requires yeah. him to hide his his problems right um, right and and ed's outbursts on the cortisone are all outbursts of different different forms of hypermasculinity. yes absolutely yes there is there's the conspicuous consumption of the dad driving his family around on a sunday afternoon into a part of town they cannot afford and the family this comes up in the in the criterion essay actually uh so i do want to cite that just as as a place this idea comes from but b kite's essay Brings up that the families are, it might not be B. Kite's essay, it might be the Jonathan Lethem bonus feature. Uh, but in any case, um, the family is solidly middle class and is scared of this upper class place. Yeah, no one wants to go into this place, right? And and he walks in and asserts his dominance over uh, the the clerks in this place. Um, that says, uh, no, we're the we're the type of family who can't always afford to be in a place like this, and as as you pr- no doubt know, that means we'll make a scene if you don't start serving us immediately, um, you know, and and that's all the conspicuous consumption, and then it moves on to uh, forcing your children to achieve the the sports dreams that you were yeah, thwarted yeah, yeah. from in your childhood. Um, it and, went, it, you know, it's the, yeah. Sorry, I want to go back to the, the conspicuous consumption thing. It's also worth oh, yeah. noting that the conspicuous consumption is a very specific kind, and especially in the sense that it is about dressing up his wife as a sort of fashion yes. doll. Uh, that that is has is part yes. of the overtone. It's not just consumption. It's a very specific kind of consumption, right. entirely focused on yes. like what his wife looks his, like. His move toward more more overt uh, patriarchy uh, is. Mm. Is all through right. It's each very of these early and it just escalates. Of, it doesn't. Right. It doesn't slow down. Yeah, yeah. Um, though it is actually interesting then that the first line we get from the child before the cortisone stuff even starts, the first line we get from the kid, Ed walks into the house and the kid says, "Hey, did you bring me anything?" Right. Um, right. So like well, that, that consumerism yeah. is. Is is baked in from the start too, right? Well, and and the movie's uh, kind of engaged with the idea that like it's baked in from the start, and that like it it's so ever present that it, it it inherently feeds these impulses that Ed gets right. Like he he's right. that's part of the soup. Like the movie has that that juxtaposition to help you understand that he's kind of going crazy with this, but he it is ever present because they exist in this soup, right? Like. All this thing is couched in a world where, like, that's just the way that is. Like, that is the thing, right? Like, 
the the child wants him to buy him things, right? Uh, right. And, and they are talking a lot about the things they can't afford, right? Throughout, like they we know the water heaters busted. We know a lot of things about like their their financial troubles are both born of like necessity and like oh like we sure would like to be able to have things, wouldn't we? Uh, right. Not not you know kid would like toys and shit or whatever, right? Um, right. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you yeah, but you were going you were talking about the move into his 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 sports dreams and depriving his child of food in order to like try to like right 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 to it to achieve. Um, and you know it's it's he's he's bf skinnering it too. You know he's applying his pedagog pedagogical. Uh, Right. assertions onto uh onto his own family here uh to the detriment turns out of his own family uh because his uh his pedagogy is bad yeah uh, no it's very fascist. bad let's, let's so, uh, like yeah. well and that's i mean like it i i wish i could i wish i could say that like it's it is pat like it is obviously bad it is obviously bad but yes. i i can't pretend like there aren't people who are still trying to teach like this because there are they're fucking everywhere oh, yeah <laughs> like yeah. i wish it weren't true uh, that that this is still a very common way of viewing the world uh right. as a teacher uh there are people paid uh, to do this to your children right uh and you know in in america we're trying to manufacture a uh an atmosphere within education where only teachers like that are going to want to be teachers yeah yeah. Uh, so, you know. I mean, like, you know, uh, yeah, like, you know, I think in America now you either have to really love or really hate children to become a teacher. That's your only, your two only yes, two jobs, yes. options. It's probably, you know, it's like, it's unfortunate, but true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, as, as I said, you know, the, the, the hyper patriarchy is, yeah. is a thread throughout all of that and culminates in, his his asserting more and more control over his wife. Right. And she pushes back against that. Uh but at the same time, uh Ray is uh definitely aware of the fact that uh there are a lot of forces, social and self preservation wise that keep women in relationships like this. Right. He knows yeah. that, like, yes, yeah, absolutely. He leverages all of it to make sure that, like, she has limits to what she can, like, how much she can engage, right? She just has to back off most of the time, right? Because, yeah, you know, and, and like, it, it's really interesting how, like, her breaking point and, like, his sort of most extreme point all sort of culminate at the same time, right? There's also the the religious aspect to this fascism, the uh, the mm. the Christian Christianity aspect to this fascism. Uh, you know, they go to church, and there's... Uh, the sermon is not as. I I could I, I couldn't really follow. I wasn't paying attention to the sermon really very well, so I was yeah. like, I don't really know what's going on here, honestly speaking. So I think I think in that moment, Nicholas Ray wants to also just critique American Christianity uh, as as 
either boring or fascist. Uh, it can be both. <laughs> and it, it, it is often both, I will say. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, the, in any case, whatever the priest ends up preaching on, uh, it is, I believe it's New Testament and, uh, it, it really sets Ed off because the rest, the rest of the movie takes place that afternoon. Yes. Yeah. It it, it, it hits um, its sort of, sort of inflection point. Right. Um, yeah. Um, so he gets home and, and I, I, I like, and I dislike what happens here, uh, because I think there is a common, there's a common view, particularly in American Protestantism, of uh, I think even even from people who who reject a sort of uh, God infused violence. I think there's a there's a common thread in sort of mainline Protestantism within the U.S. Uh, of the sort of slightly liberal Christianity. Um, that views the God of the New Testament as loving and the God of the Old Testament as wrathful. Uh, and where that becomes a problem is that it, it sort of pathologizes uh, Judaism as something that needs to be quelled. Right, uh, right. And yeah. That, has, yeah. That, has, that has ended in a lot of bad ways throughout history. Um. So, you know, there's there's hints of that here, but there's also a slight pushback against that because as he as he gets obsessed with the story of Abraham and Isaac and God telling Abraham to sacrifice Isaac uh, and then stops reading his fire and brimstone speech <clears throat> at that right. point, uh, Lou does say, no, you you stopped soon t- too soon. God stopped Abraham. Well, uh, right, and then God <laughs> is wrong. God was wrong. Well, so that's but that's yeah. the point, right? Like I think I don't know. I yeah. think this is all very insightful, right? Because, like, I mean, insightful in the sense that he's not saying anything that like a million people haven't already said, but it is important. Right, which is right. like you'll stop reading exactly where it is convenient for you to stop right, reading right, to prove right, your right. point. And and then right. when you get pushback on it, in the end, it was all pretext anyway. Right, like right. Ed wants to kill his kid. That is what Ed one hundred percent. It the Bible is just the tool by which he's going to he's going to justify it to himself. But this in time. the end, yes. Ed just wants to kill his kid, uh, right? And so, well, it actually wants to do a, a, a whole family suicide thing. It's it's yes. it turns out it's a whole it's a whole thing, right? Uh, which is which is actually fascinatingly uh, revealed. I find the dialogue here really fascinating because Lou's just kind of trying to keep him talking, right? And right. so she has to kind of play into the game, but she doesn't know what the game is because it's all batshit, like psychotic. It right. doesn't make any sense, right? right? And so she's trying to play along. So well, how would we get away with the murder? Like, and all this stuff, which like no sensible person in any real sense would want to, like, right? Like she doesn't want to get it. Like, you know, she's playing along yeah. and she's having to say things that very clearly and, and through very good acting as well, very clearly are, pain her to say but are things she has to say to try just for 30 seconds more save her kid right right uh and 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 try i think try to get him distracted enough to right absolutely 
you know, because eventually she does pivot to try to say, hey, why don't we go for a walk? Right. Down the block. Uh, and he says, oh, oh, right by the police station and shoves it into the closet. Right. Uh, and then and then thankfully Walter Matthau shows up in that moment. Um, yeah. Uh, I also think the the fist fight with Walter Matthau is very interesting. Um one, I don't know the way the way this the stair railing just splinters. Mm-hmm. I feel like has to be a per. It's not just a stunt, right? It's it's about the facade, too. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I can see that because something that that thing in real life shouldn't have broken that easily in the way that it did. Right. Right. I mean, I, um, one one can. We have to be careful, right? Because they're they're doing a stunt, right? Like there's right, like there's a limit to how real it can be without like accidentally killing actors, right? That's uh, fair. Like you don't actually want to stab Walter Matthau to death or you know James Mason to death. Like that's not a a thing you want to do, uh, which means you have a bunch of balsa wood bullshit that like, yeah, <laughs> you've but painted. they didn't they didn't need to go through the railing. They could have just continued tussling down the stairs to the same end. Yeah, so, yeah, that's uh, true. It I makes mean, it slightly more exciting, but I think I I I, I don't know. That... I think to a certain extent, though, it is it is important. I, I maybe you're right. Maybe it's about, about facade and stuff. I suspect it's just somebody thought it was a cool stunt, and and the fight was kind of boring without that kind of stuff. It's just a fist fight between two dudes. Well, I think the fight see. was also kind of meant to be boring. No, I, I agree. Think, I think but Ray I... is too deaf of a filmmaker for for any of this to be. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, incidental. I I I always want to mentally be cautious about like assuming that like the practicalities of stage performance are necessarily yes. themselves metaphorical. Um, I think jumping off. I think to a certain extent, the falling off the stairs is important because it it kind of creates an environment where we keep resetting so that we don't. We actually don't. Given the nature of the movie, we and and sort of the way the film is, we actually don't really know who's going to win. Like we have the like kind of like codes of conduct of film and stuff like to kind of tell us. Right. But like, you could believe in your heart that that Nicholas Ray would want this movie to end with him stabbing his family. Right. Like, there's a world where he wins and he stabs his family. And that still tells the tells a a different story than the one Nicholas Ray ends up telling, but one that is also equally viable for some of the points he's wanting to make. Right? That that's well, like the the and we, we we can yes of course we can we can extrapolate out that this is going to all happen again and again and again and again and again. Right, right, right. right, we, right I understand right, that. Right. But my point is is that that there there's it's it's just a slightly different way of telling that story that are th- th- there's a slightly different impacts. Right, like him. Us, us walking away. Maybe it cuts away, and we don't find out who wins the fight or something like that. In or because we can't violate the code or whatever, <laughs> but we all kind of know he stabbed his family to death. Is also a different kind of version of telling the same thing with a different sort of impact, right? I mean, I I don't yeah. think he chose the wrong one or anything like that. I'm just saying that, like, I think to a certain extent, falling off the railing allows us, and if you know allows us to 
just continue to remain unsure about how this is going to go. Uh, yeah. Um, and also again, brings the fight uh, extremely close to the family, right? Like, yes, which yes. is important and because it, is... It, the way it's set up, it's too far away from them. I, again, like me and the because we did end up watching this uh, pretty much all together. Uh, yeah, <laughs> me and me and the kids watched great, this together. Great, yeah. I great mean, hey, movie. you know, it's yeah. you know they now they know dad shouldn't be allowed to take cortisone. Um, <laughs> yeah, good. But um, they. <laughs> They were, um, we were all kind of in agreement, like, just, I, I understand that this person is here fighting for you. You should still leave. Like, yes. please, please. Like, we were always like, please, please just please leave. Please get out of the house. Like, yes. whatever happens, please just leave the house. And the fight just keeps getting closer to them, and they don't leave the house. Yeah. Which says, yeah. which is its own message, right? That part is a message, right? The fight keeps getting right. dramatically closer to them, and they don't leave. She goes to him. Right, she rushes over right. to the 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 now felled James Mason like yes. character, uh, and as soon as he's down, and we as an audience yeah. watch it in the same capacity that we watch horror movie, uh, yeah, characters make all the wrong choices, right? But we have to also understand that those are the only choices they would ever make. Yeah, and of course. You know, this movie is playing into horror tropes even before that. Yes, of course. With the with the shadows on the wall, the looming, particularly in the in the tutoring scene where he's uh, where you've just got that huge monstrous shadow yeah. behind him, and even even when Lou walks into the room, the lighting is such a way that her shadow is smaller than her body, uh, and his is still looming over her directly. Uh, one more note on the fight, though, that you know, if I'm if I'm going to insist on nothing being incidental, uh, I think the fight is interesting. That they go over the couch and knock over the couch yeah. and fight in the background for a minute, and then come back over the couch and right the couch. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. As yeah. they come back over it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I would I would argue if you're gonna, I, I, as I keep thinking about it too. I would argue if you're going to say that the railing, I, I again, I don't think anything is unintentional. It's just we have to get into whether or not it's film craft or it's like metaphor. If you're going to argue yeah. anything about the railing, I would argue that similar to your point is that, but more to the effect that like the railing is no guard, right? The guardrails don't mean anything. Right. Whatever's right, been right, constructed right. that's is supposed to protect you from what's happening is all fake bullshit and it's not going to do anything to protect you. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, if we, if we assume handrails on a set of stairs in a in a in a middle class home in the suburbs are quote unquote rails to keep things from getting like from getting out of hand. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There's so. Uh, Again, I think it was uh I think it was the Jonathan Lethem bonus feature here, which really digs into the movie in a way that I am not apt to dig into. Even even with, you know, having gone to college and done a lot of literary criticism in college, I, I don't 
I don't necessarily like to take that critical eye to films mm -hmm. necessarily. So I think it's him who suggests that uh, the upstairs and downstairs are sort of separate worlds. Okay. Uh, and he cites Hitchcock in this too, of the, the upstairs sort of representing the unknowable. Um, and I don't know. I don't know that I can read that here. Um, mostly because I think the, certainly the further we get into the fascist patriarchy, uh, the rooms become closed off from one another in all parts of the house. Right. Uh, even even on the first floor that was fairly open when we were first in there, right. the kitchen door is closed during the fight, right? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, my I guess I would need to know so exactly what um, what the arguments are in favor of that uh, that analysis. I didn't watch that. Right. That one. I mainly was like, my, I did a mental thing in my head. I was like, well, I've got time for one of these, basically. Which one will I watch? Well, I, the interview with the director is almost always the right choice. Right, right. Or like, if unless yeah, we have the I cinematographer, don't. then it's always the cinematographer in my right. book. It's always, I don't know that if it was the right the right choice out of the three. This well, time. I mean, but how uh, how but, is one to know, right? Um, yeah. And so I didn't. I did not watch um, the um, the, Letham. the Jonathan Lethem one. Partially, also, I was like, well, okay, like I know who Jonathan Lethem is, and I don't understand like why he's doing an interview about this movie. <laughs> right. Like, right, I, I right. mean, like, I, I couldn't, in my head, I was like, okay, like, I've read some of Jonathan Lethem's books. I don't understand, like, I mean, from a maybe just sort of, like, general thematics and things you might, but, like, why are we interviewing the guy who, like, I tend to avoid the ones that feature people who have no direct personal connection to the movie because right. I'm kind of like, what are we doing here? Like, who are you? Why are you, you know, not in this case, I know who John Letham is, but like, my point is I couldn't figure out the connection well enough to justify watching that one over, uh, Nicholas Ray. Uh, it seems like I made yeah. the wrong choice, but what are you going to do? Um, it happens. Um, yeah. Yeah. So his argument would then be that, the fight on the stairs particularly is is a bridging of that gap. Okay. I th um, that's a nice wrap up to the argument. I just don't understand like where right, the argument right. itself gets its meat from. Yeah. And and I do think that there are other ways in which the continued fighting um further bridges gaps. Like going over the couch puts puts them into the dining room, right? Through the living room and into mm -hmm. the dining room. Um well, so, which would yeah, be about about violating her world, right? I mean, right. But right. we've already seen him violate her world, right? Like multiple times, right? Like her her world yes. her world is not sacrosanct to him in any capacity Absolutely. throughout the movie. Yeah, particularly at this point. But but even you know, yeah, even from the beginning, even from the beginning, he's digging around the refrigerator during that party, which is a violation of her yeah. her space as far as the movie's concerned, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I don't, well, I don't know. Him digging around in the fridge for for milk suggests that I don't know the the disease he is named as having is like a heart disease. So so the fact that you know the bruising, yes, 
Uh, but uh, but he's like doubled over, grabbing his stomach like he has a hernia. Yeah, you know, or a... yeah. I read it as like a stomach ulcer. I was like, oh, he's got a stomach yeah, ulcer. Or an ulcer. Yeah, yeah. in my head, that's what I milk, immediately right? went to. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, and obviously, obviously, this this film is dedicated to the metaphorical power of of milk throughout. Right. 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 Um, you know, even the the what barium or whatever he drinks during the X ray is is. What, probably is physically that's what, milk. That's what for, well, for, yeah, probably, but that is also what yeah. barium looks like and is like. Right, right. Stomach yeah. ulcer X- um, X-rays are a part of the yearly physical that takes place in Japan. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, obviously, the argument with the kid getting getting milk, um, and having his milk taken away because what dad wants is the intellectual meat, not milk. Well, and um, and dad is also obsessed with the idea of isolating this child, and like like a lot of fascist patriarchy type things, is fa- is obsessed with the idea of isolating the, yeah. the 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 boy from the the like weakening power of the motherly influence that like weakens men, right? Like right, right, right. Yeah, and we get we get uh, one of his first blow ups at outside interlopers into the house is is at the milkman, um, right. Yeah. Uh well, who who represents then, a know, sort of like systemicness to this sort of like in, infection right. in in male masculinity, right? Like right, right. we 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 have this right. this infection delivered daily by a man who just literally walks into the house and drops it off, right? Yeah. Uh but still we frequently see him consuming milk. Prior, right. you know. But, he, but that's... he gets milk out of the fridge for for that issue. Uh, he's the one drinking the barium in, in the agree. hospital. I agree. I mean, but that's yeah. the thing, right? But his, like, but that's a playing around with the idea of, like, the sort of hypocrisy of this whole system. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and then Absolutely. also the idea that, like, I I mean, does he, I can't remember now, does he continue to drink milk as we get further on into this thing or I not? I can't remember, honestly. I mean, I don't speaking. think we see him necessarily drinking well, milk. One, one can assume he still does. I don't um, know. You know, it's, it's, yeah. It, it's definitely the idea that, like, you know he, the thing he is trying to eliminate from his son is the, as a thing that he is very much, he he is and does right like, um, you know I mean his his he he like all suburban men of this era have a mom taking care of him twenty four seven. Right, like right, the, like the milk can be used to highlight that, but the fact of the matter is, the thing he's trying to eliminate from his child is the thing that, as a a man of this age and this era, married to a woman, like he's constantly watched over by someone who's as much mom to him as as wife, right? Right, and and there is, I think there is a, a solid argument to be made that his ideas of conservative pedagogy and high uh, and and patriarchal hierarchy are themselves milk ideas they are they are easily consumable right yeah to yeah. his class of people right um and it really is that all of the stuff he critiques about education you know all the little catchphrases he throws out are things designed to to get children more engaged with themselves and with their community, right, right, then, you know, and as such, they are they are meatier, uh, they are solid food, 
uh, as right. far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing Latham brings up that that I think I, I'm more apt to agree with. Um, he suggests that Walter Matthau's character is uh, perhaps the most subtly gay character in all of film history. Okay. Um, okay. And I think he, I think he makes a good argument in pointing out that he is he's a single adult man. Uh, he has no interest, even when pointed out. You know, there's also that single young right. teacher, the kindergarten teacher, who is frequently late to her own <laughs> to her own job. You know, the kids are just painting, um, and going crazy when Ed has to check in on her on her class. Uh, you know, but Ed suggests that uh, he ask. Um, I think Wally is his name, uh, Mathau's character. Yeah, it, uh, but, yeah, I think yeah, it's it is. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. 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 Um Ed suggests that Wally ask that woman to to their party, uh, to their dinner party that night. And she is there, so there is that. But um but he just, you know, he doesn't pursue that. He's completely disinterested right. in pursuing that. It, and it's made and that pretty be, clear that yes, like Right. I it would it it would make sense for that to be like a B or C plot to what's going on in the background. Mm. Um and that you know, uh, Wally's Wally's falling in love with with this woman is a dichotomy to a set set as a, a dark mirror of Ed and Lou's relationship, right? Um, but the fact that it's con- conspicuously absent from from yeah, the rest I of the would movie. I would agree. I mean, like, yeah, I I think. I think it's an argument that does hold water. I think it's one of those classic arguments about like this sort of thing where you yeah. can't ever really definitively prove it. Um, yeah. Just because of the way, like, I mean, like, unless, unless Nicholas Ray just at one point came out and said it. Right. Yeah. We, well, know. the, another thing he brings up is that, uh, at the beginning of the PTA night, um, there is an unnamed other teacher who Lethem says is more effeminate. And I don't know that I, I have that <laughs> agreement with Lethem there. Uh, but Wally's in the doorway of the school and says something about, uh, well, the parents are worse than the kids uh, to this other male teacher. Uh-huh. And they sort of uh, touch each other's elbows as they walk in to the, to the building. And it's, it is, a, it is a, a conspicuous moment of tenderness between two men, <laughs> uh, right? That is right. absent from the rest of the movie. Yeah, I uh, could, I, I, will, I miss I that, but I can. I, that. I mean, if that did happen, yeah. then I, 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 you yeah. know, I don't, I don't think that's even necessarily necessary to read. Uh, right. right, Wally is being gay, just partially because I think the argument about like the idea of having a single male teacher in a, a single male adult in a movie like this be yeah. almost radically disinterested in the single you know single <laughs> right like, right right, right right is is a pretty yes. radical move right like it it, just, it actually right. is yeah. and then like and then like the way that Wally's engagement with her is purely as a sort of colleague that like well yeah I mean I'll go help her push her car but like cuz like right. those are st- those are classic kind of meet cute sort of romantic tropes right like 
And they're like, right. oh, the one with the car broke down, and then and then he's ter- server for knight in shining armor yeah. and that sort of thing. There's none of that. Like it's just, it's all he's just a friendly dude who helps her out. Right. And I right. and it would make yeah. sense to me, uh, in this movie that 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 Ed would become jealous of a person who, at times, would assume there's a sexual relationship between Wally and Lou. If we're yeah. also supposed to mentally read that that's like a functional, like not this is essentially impossible thing, that they're that yeah that like we the audience know is impossible, but like Ed's insane like insane masculinity makes him insecure, despite what seems to be you know an obvious like situation, right? Um, yeah, yeah, and it's it's interesting then. That, yeah, I think we always talk about uh, an author of a work putting themselves into it. Right. Um, And, you know, uh, I believe Nicholas Ray is known to have had relationships with men and women Mm -hmm. through his life. Um, There's a question in the bonus feature that you ended up watching, the 1977 television interview, where they're talking about James Dean uh, and... uh, and Rebel Without a Cause and some bisexual bisexual themes within Rebel Without a Cause. Um, and and Ray talks about you know, if that's if that's the characters or the actors' bisexuality popping through, or are you asking if this is my bisexuality popping through? He says he says point blank there, I'm not bisexual, but I think uh what's he say? He says he says uh Anyone who denies having daydreamed, uh, it's like denying having ever eaten a potato. Is basically what he says, which is a very good line. Um, you know, so he's 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 casually admitting uh, to uh, to bisexual fantasies, at least, if not, you know. But he never he never come. He certainly doesn't come out in that interview. By right. Any means. I mean, and um, you know, there's a lot of. I mean, if you read through Nicholas Ray's Wikipedia, there's decent amount of evidence to 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 go along i i mean bear in mind bisexual is a a is a category that is still highly maligned in modern society right like right, even right, right. even as e- in many ways even as progress is made in, in other ca- and obviously rolled back pretty dramatically uh as often as not yes bisexual people have had a pretty hard time being by accepted by like sort of any group of people right like it's it's kind of a notorious issue right yeah um and so one imagines that like even though ray maybe sort of internally be happy with the sort of life that he has you know lived he may still hesitate to just kind of just roll it all out there on a TV interview, right? Like this thing that will most likely get him heavily maligned. Even more so than right. even possibly even more so than rumors of him being even even rumors yeah. circulating that he's gay or something like that could even be right. more dramatically bad. Who knows? I mean, I yeah. don't know which one. Yeah. I'm, I don't think that comparing these things is of any value here necessarily, but my point is, is that like Bear in mind, this is also a time period where coming out as being gay would also just mean you're not going to 
it's over, right? Like it's the interviews from what? I don't know what year, but it's well, the interviews from '77. I don't know if that's necessarily true in '77. Seventy, but... well, yeah, <laughs> but it ain't it ain't good. Things aren't good in 1977. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I think I think '77 is. Uh, <laughs> An almost island, <laughs> an island that is perhaps still a little bit underwater uh, between things certainly getting a lot worse in the next decade right. uh, and right. things having been worse previously. But uh, we don't. Right. Yeah. yeah. My, my point is, like, I, I, I agree with the idea that the authors, the personality of the author showing through in their work and yeah. like in the end, um I, I think that like him not admitting that on TV is not does not strike me as that that wildly right, right, outrageous right. of a thing Absolutely. for him to do. Yes, of course, is <laughs> the point yeah. I was trying to get think, at really in the end is yeah. that like yeah. Yes. Then there's also uh, when Ed does sort of uh, accuse Wally of having an affair with Lou. Um, some of the things he says also hint at a uh, sort of perceived. Perceived uh, femaleness to Ed, I care to to Wally, you know, because he he says, "Oh yeah, the the diet and the exercise, you know, the yeah, way." Yeah, no, says I think it, that's part of it, right? The idea that of, like he's yeah. a man concerned with like his looks and his his physicality, health, yeah, health, <laughs> right? Can, can, is has definitely throughout a. a history been as a, a thing that is interpreted that way right yeah um yeah and it's yeah yeah of course wally is by no means someone preening right you know he's no not, no yeah, but he's he's still walter Matthau. so but you know what i'm saying like you and i are on the same page yeah. here like that's a that is a, right. a, a a a trope right that that exists right yeah. and and yeah. one that the flip that ray might want to play with right might want to yeah. mess around with like using yeah because it also Another means aspect. that wally is in much much better shape to beat the shit out of <laughs> right, right, the right, shit right out of right. ed who is yeah. very quote-unquote air quotes masculine <laughs> but also just gets his ass whooped like yeah. real hard yeah but also but also in the middle of a roid rage so right right um, that's what i'm saying you know. is like he is hyper masculine yeah. like quote-unquote like hyper masculine right. at this point and just just a totally just i mean it's a knockout at the end right like it's just a total knockout so you know yeah, yeah. Um, there's there's got to yeah, be a point so, to that, right? There just it just there, there has to be right. the metaphor has to exist, right? Yeah, yeah. So another aspect of uh, Ray putting more of his character into this movie than uh, than maybe he'd even care to admit. Um, there's a paragraph on the Nicholas Ray's Wikipedia page that. Uh, it's so much. It's Wikipedia is so yeah. long. I tried to look It's very it. dense. It's so there's long. a lot going on. Uh, but there's a paragraph on Bigger Than Life uh, that says, it tells the story of a man who grows reliant on his abusive medication and consequently more and more broken. The connection to Ray, who had grown increasingly dependent on both alcohol and drugs, were not lost, even on Ray. In 76, he confessed to himself in a journal entry, that he had lived in in a continuous blackout between 1957 or earlier until now. Um, that's a quote from his diary. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, basically admitting that he doesn't even remember making this movie, among a lot of other things. Right. But, um, 
But Susan Ray, who is his his uh, final spouse and is the uh, the spouse who is interviewed as a bonus feature as well, talking about his life. Um, she says that uh, you know one of her first reactions to seeing Bigger Than Life, uh, she told him, "This is your story before you had lived it." Uh, you know, suggesting that his alcoholism and, and drug addiction got worse after making this movie that's right uh that so prominently features it. Uh yeah, I don't know. That's it's the idea that he that this is somehow a prescient thing to his wife to his life, that things got worse for him after this is very interesting too. Uh even if it doesn't mean that Ed is some sort of aspect of his character, but it might be some sort of aspect of his psyche, just one that had not been realized yet, right? Uh, in any case, I think Ray is definitely aware of and afraid of uh, the uh, fascistic tendencies of <laughs> patriarchal hierarchy. Yeah, within, no, for sure. Within like yeah. American suburbanism, period, but American culture writ large. Yeah, this is yeah. definitely not a movie made by somebody approaching this purely intellectually. This is definitely a person approaching <laughs> right. this from a certain emotional standpoint saying like really th- there's a there's like real and present fear in yeah, in the sort of tone of the movie that I think implies a, a director that is right. is and actually that's... is is actually of their own person afraid of this thing. And that's a thing about Rebel is that in being about middle class white gangs, uh, it is conspicuously not about urban gangs in the way that other movies of the time were about urban gangs. Right. And he talks about in that in that interview from seventy seven, he talks about how Warner Brothers had no idea what right. he was yeah, doing yeah. with Rebel and absolutely could not understand what he was doing with Rebel. And at one point, he tried to get them to drop the movie so that he could buy it and make it himself without their oversight. Uh, and someone convinced Warner Brothers not to not to give up on it. Um, so yeah, you know, he's he's already in making Rebel Without a Cause what it was. He's already pushing back against uh the normal method of confronting this youth violence within American culture is to foreignize it by making it an urban thing mm-hmm. as it, to, to pathologize it to something that isn't the safety of the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Whereas Ray comes back and says, no, the suburbs aren't safe. The suburbs are worse. Right. Uh, right. And this movie know. is a continuation of the idea that like the most dangerous place in America right. is the suburbs, right? Like, Right. Right. And even, you know, obviously the school and the administration and the other teachers, they are they are a community and they they care for one another. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think anyone from the school comes to visit him in the hospital. Well, I think it's the important. Caddy comes to visit him in the hospital. Right. What I think is important to understand is that it's it, I think in this I think this is a an actual theme here is I believe that the movie is trying to paint a difference in the sort of like what you get when you have a bourgeoisie community versus a um, right, sort, of a right. sort of working community is that like 
the school is a bourgeoisie um, community. They all they have a community. They care about each other, but like they have to maintain this sort of like distance, right? Like they have to like everybody is willing to ignore his problems for an extremely long amount of time. Like they they keep a certain sort of like um di- sort of disaffected distance from each other. They're like, oh, they'll help each other out in a pinch, right? He'll go over and teach the kindergarten class and, you know, da, 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 da. and they'll, like, pinch in for each other. And, like, but, like, it, there's not, they can't ever, like, close the distance between each other to the point of, like, actual, like, legitimate care where they, like, and that's, and it's a painting of that picture, right? Because, like, the idea that, like, they they know he's suffering for money, right? And they are probably, presumably, right. also suffering for money. But no one's going to, like, help him figure a way out of it, right? It's all just, like, oh, that's too bad. You'll get him next time, champ, kind of. kind of. Right, right, right. The, the right. bourgeoisie system, the whole school is built around this idea that, like, every teacher teaches in a different classroom and, like, they mingle, but they mingle in like teacher spaces, and it's in passing. Everybody is a, is their own sort of island that exists separately, and you don't cross those boundaries uh, to like really give real care, right? Whereas when right. he goes to the cab company, they're all sitting in a room all together around like. And th- don't get me wrong, open plan offices are a nightmare created by the same <laughs> right, system right. to kill us all. Uh, let's be very clear. I, I want to be perfectly yeah. clear that open plan offices are not what I'm talking about here because they are right. literally a plot by this same class to make us all into murderers, I think. Um, yeah. But they they have the movie is supposed to tell you that there's a community here, right? There is no boundaries between right. these people. He sits next to that woman and they chat like they're there. They have a they 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 legitimately probably know more about each other than he and his coworkers at the school know about each other. The cabbie will right. come up to right. him and directly reveal a, a very serious problem, one that is often hidden in bourgeoisie environments and stuff from each other openly yeah. and ask him for his aid in this. And he yes. expects Ed to to do him that favor to like do that for him. Right. Like the the cabbie doesn't right. come up and talk to Ed in a way like, oh, it's a secret. I'm gonna whisper it in the corner and I'm gonna like I'm gonna keep it no, secret. He's yelling it in the garage. Right. right? And, and presumably everybody in the garage knows. And 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 Ed is a part of that community, is expected to conform to community rules, which are you you do not let him drive onto that part of town. Okay? We don't do that for right. this person who is a part of our community. Now, mind you, yeah. like it doesn't, you know, we don't we don't get a lot of it, but I think it's supposed to be there. I think it's supposed to be an obvious dichotomy between these two environments. Yeah, um, it's interesting too. Then that uh, a lot of the school stuff, well, not a lot, but some of the school stuff deals with personal automobiles. Yeah, and yep. And the fact that, uh, you know, Ed's family can't afford more than one. Right. And his wife needed it that day. Uh, the other teachers has broken down mm-hmm. and she needs a little help. Then the cabbies who, 
you know, then he takes the bus to the cab place, first off. And the cabbies, you know, there, there's something about cabs where it's it's both individual in that they are a single mm-hmm. driver going around, but it's also communal in that they're picking up strangers, giving them rides, and they have this central dispatch. Right. Know, ten well, it, ten it's other worth, people it's in community. It's worth noting that in a society with, with a, a hyper, like, an extensive uh, public transportation, right, right. you still need cabs. Pretty much, like you, yes. you need that yes. person who serves as it, that. It's a public service. Like it is still a person right. operating in a public service that, uh, sort and, of environment. You know, a cab should be you know for for the things that a train cannot do. Mm. You know, last couple miles maybe. Um, but cabs facilitate people not having to own their own personal right. car. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, and of course, you know, in in modern America, we're trying to <laughs> still modern still. America. <laughs> the modern American like trying to burn that down is 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 is, yeah. is oh my god the modern American version of this is the most batshit insane thing you could ever cook up but yeah. yeah well not not even just Uber and its ilk and the the just over commoditization to the point of debt slavery that you know the, even the 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 cab companies are oh yeah in yeah. major cities debt slavery themselves. So another aspect of the cab company versus the school, though, uh, that's interesting is that the cabbie, the cabbie assumes that everyone is being as openly communicative as he is mm-hmm. when he shows up at the hospital. Yeah. Right? Uh, he doesn't think it's a secret that Ed works for the cab company. Right. Why would right. he think it's a secret? Right. That no, Ed there's no reason to suspect it, right? Where, whereas at the school... Ed calls and lies to his wife in front of his boss who is having dinner with them. Right. Yeah, totally. No, yeah. No, it's, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about, though, is that, like, that? that's yeah. the point, right? Like, that's all part of it, right? Is that, like, Ed is, like, not lying about that at work. The cab company doesn't know that his wife doesn't know and that, the like, it's a secret because yeah. Ed, by his nature, violates the rules of that community. Right, like Ed keeps secrets to that community because Ed doesn't has not fully integrated himself into that community. Ed is a exists in a sort of bridge between those two worlds. He, he kind of travels back and forth between them, and like Ed violates the rules in both of them, uh, but primarily like it's it's sort of a hierarchy, right? Like Ed can share something in in his community at the school as much as it exists, so long as it 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 it. it as so long as it um, it furthers the the patriarchy, right? Like he's got to like right and his mask his his drive for masculinity, right? Like he can admit this to his friends at the at the school because they all understand his masculine needs, right? Like they're all right on right. board for this idea, and they all understand not to tell his wife, right? Right? They all are on board for this idea. And here's yeah. a, a thing I wanted to bring up before I forget because I've already forgotten three times. It is also worth noting two things about that community and the way it functions at the school. Number one, it requires Lou, its wife, to pull Wally to violate the rules of that community. For Wally yes. to show concern that extend, not because Wally's a bad person or something like that, but because Wally f- sticks to the rules of this community until it, until Lou has to pull him into it. And like, like you need to violate the rules if you care at all about this person, right? Like this society that we've have here will not, 
will not help what's going on here. I we I need more from you than what you're like what you're comfortable with here. Second of all, it's also worth noting that Wally is also only walks as far as I can tell. Wally Right. Is it does not, as far as I can tell, as far as the movie's concerned, have a car. Right. Because Wally walks to places, including like rescuing this family. And right. that is fascinating because it paints you a couple of interesting pictures, which is number one, if the car is a representation of that masculinity and that and that system, Wally's not fully a part of it. Wally is is separated from it in some capacity. Um, yeah. But also that um that, <laughs> that like I, as a sort of secondary note, this place is small enough to walk. Yeah. All the places they're going are all walkable. Right. The police station is at the end of the block. Right. The uh the the school is somewhere where Wally, who is admittedly very physically fit, yes, uh can walk. Um but the kids ride their bikes to yeah. school. The everything is everything uh, it is this is one of those planned suburban communities where everything like those early ones in the fifties, right, where they're all everything's yeah. already self contained within that er, that suburban community, right? Everything right, right. for a community exists in this non community yeah. community, right? Which which might explain the the fact that they have bus service, but also the fact that their front yard is so small. This isn't a suburb, it's an enclave. This is yeah, uh, yeah, this is yeah. the ultimate white flight. This is this is we're going to create our own community that can still have all of the benefits of being in the big city, uh, but we're not going to pay taxes to the city. Right. Schools, well, I mean, it's worth noting, I think, and I'm not too. I'm not as well versed in urban history as you, but those those early yeah. suburbs were that right, like where those like right there yeah, on the yeah. border edge of like now because things have gotten things that over time got keep getting more and more a hand right the suburbs get the suburbs get further and further out in the far right. nether regions but the early ones are like butt up against the edge of the city right they're right like yeah they're right there on the edge so they get all the services of the city that the city sort of has to provide without having to commit to being a part of the city right like oh you can right. take bus service to the edge of your community because of course you can right but like you're not gonna like you know invest in the city or you know, let the people live there, right? How long How long do you think has passed between the first day of the movie and the uh, the uh, the culmination? The the uh, yeah, it's the it's climax. hard to judge. The movie doesn't want to give us a lot of like definite times. Yeah. I will say that I suspect. We don't. I don't think he scammed that many, uh, yeah, prescriptions. I suspect it might all be within the course of those two to three prescriptions. Right. Like he has uh, to go to the, the doctor every ten days, in theory. Right. And even oh. if there's, we see him go to the doctor once, though. We see him so go to the doctor once. So it's ten days since he was in the hospital. Goes to the doctor, but he's yeah. already. St- by the time we get there, that happens after he's already started taking too many. We've already seen right. a few changes, and then we see. Yeah, him it also doesn't entirely make sense that 
if he's going to the doctor every 10 days and the doctor tells him he should have five more days left on his prescription so he can't get a new one, that doesn't entirely make sense. But <laughs> no, I know. I, well, I don't know. Well, I don't know that we don't know that yeah. he is actually going every 10 days. We know that like the first checkup is yeah. in 10 days. It may be one of those things where you, the, the checkups get right, further right, and further right. apart as time goes on. But so the prescription in the first checkup may not be a, the first checkup may not be a, hey, I'm going to write you a prescription checkup. It might be why well, I, right. I I prescribed you two weeks and you have yeah. already run out at 10 days, well, right? I I only ask to try and get a gauge of uh, if that day of school we see mm-hmm. is the first day of Easter break. And I think it is meant to be spring break. Um, it, yeah, it's definitely, this, yes, I think you're right. I think they even mentioned yeah. that, right? Right. Because it is it is a holiday, uh, and there's an implication of a long time off, but they still have the PTA meeting, which means the school year is not over for the summer. I don't think. No, I don't um, think. I think the. I think I agree that the implication is that it, it is a mid. Yeah. Like mid yeah. semester holiday. Well, just, in any case, enough time has passed. I was trying to gauge whether or not that uh, the church scene is meant to be on Easter. And the timing doesn't work out. For no, that it court. doesn't. I I think it's more of a just yeah. like we we go to church. We we yeah. we, we as good yeah. bourgeoisie obviously, white people. We go obviously to it's not. Right. It is not. It is not formed as an Easter service. Right, right. But, uh, I, <laughs> but it would be the sort of thing I think Ray would do. Yeah, I, I agree. It, but um, uh, I think probably like that may have just been something like that may just be out of the realm of possibility for the story to work. Particu- but, like. He, yeah. I, I think, to, think, I think this all happens over the course of like two to three weeks. Yeah, probably. at most. I still think, pretty I think quick, three weeks but is not probably the upper esh- like upper end of it. Not, not quite cri- quick enough that Ed is having his religious hysteria where he wants to sacrifice his boy <laughs> on uh, Easter Sunday. On, on Easter Sunday. Uh yeah, uh, no, I don't think which, so. But like, um, which again, I think it's, it's if Ray had thought of it, I think it would have been in there. Yeah, more no, I think yeah, probably so. just like, oh man, it's yeah. too late to change the movie. Uh, no, yeah. I yes, I I mean yes, I agree. Yes, I I think. I think probably for Ray, it being on Sunday is good enough. Right, right. right. Like, Easter Sunday may just be too much of a cherry on the top. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, like, it's like, well, it is Sunday, and this is a What's religion that? exclusively about this thing, so... What's that phrase? A, a hat on the hat? It's just <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, yeah. It's a little... A little too much. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah. it is. It would be to a certain extent, sort of gilding the lily, right? At that point, you would be, yeah. you would be very much in like the territory of like, all right, your religion's already about this. Like, we don't need to like, right, like, right, more point to that, right? Although it would be very yeah. funny if they were like, I don't know. It'd be interesting because I don't know. I don't know how much the affectation of like Easter Sunday wear and stuff applies to that you know oh like, i don't know everybody's just so well dressed all the time that's what like I'm even saying. the kid, what it's hard during to the out, during yeah. the opening during the opening credits uh the kids are like in their sunday best leaving school yeah no that that's afternoon. why i was saying it's like, like i think that that if nothing else he may have like he like i think to a certain extent um ray actually might be playing a little bit with that like that like everybody's just a little bit too buttoned up for like yeah for being of course real. and well but, part of it 
part of it is the affectation of the suburban lifestyle. And also these kids are, you know, that opening sequence is also, you know, we see we see the kids doing things like the one who offers his arm to the girl before walking out. They're like the last ones who walk right. out. You know, these these kids are dressed as adults and doing adult things. As right. They yeah, they are. School. Yeah. And, they're, and they're the and, you know, that is, that is that part idea. of. Yeah. Right. And part of the the arrested development that Ed says that is suburban lifestyle. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. For so. sure. Yeah. No. For, I mean, like we. Yeah. We see. Yeah. There is. Ray's playing with a lot of that sort of stuff that like, you know, the idea right. that like people are always in their Sunday best all the time. Right. Like who can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I there's a there's a lot of very, very interesting stuff going on in this movie. Um to the point where, like, it may be one of those movies where we—it's just too deep. For, like, we'll just never ever run out of right. stuff to like think right, of right. and talk about. I will say it's excellent. It is very melodramatic. I think in the I, I bring that up because like one of them, one of the reviews pointed to that as a flaw, and I think it's one of the advantages of the movie. Frankly, is right, just right, how right, melodramatic right. it is. I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to be as hyperbolic as the. <laughs> The as the the cares the the cares the cinema people are with it, but like I mean, it's a very good movie. Right. I don't think that they're not wrong that it's an excellent movie. Ray in, embraces the cinescope here, uh, and and compartmentalizes it inside of suburban homes. So you know he's doing different things stylistically on that end than yeah. someone like Douglas Sirk. But he's certainly doing the melodrama in the same way that Douglas right, right. Sirk does it. Right. And well, really, and that's a part really of the the joy, like the the sort of beauty of it is right is that all that melodrama is just jammed to these spaces that like we can see the limits right. of so tightly. Like we know the limits right. so well uh, as the audience. Right. Um, yeah. A thing that's worth a note that is unrelated to how good the movie is uh, okay. is the fact that I very 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 quickly read the synopsis too fast. And, oh no. Um, Assumed it was a monster feature until I got about fifteen minutes into it. <laughs> That's a that the the uh the steroids were going to Jekyll and Hyde him. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I kind of misunderstood like I didn't read it carefully. Well and so at one listen. point in the synopsis they referred to turning him into a monster and I did not because I didn't read it carefully interpret yeah. that as a metaphorical monster rather right. than him going and then it being called bigger than life. I was like, is he gonna go Yeah. 60 foot tall man on this is he going to be actually 12 feet tall the use of shadow Mm -hmm. uh particularly in the room where he's having having the kid do math uh where they're at the bottom of the frame and even you know when they're first introduced in the living room with him and the boy well we're given a lot of perspective shots where he towers over people like this is common throughout the movie but but yeah, the 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 broken mirror and the shadow. There's a lot of like shout outs to oh, yeah. horror tropes for sure. So for sure, yeah. I just kind of it didn't take me long to realize that's not what was going to happen. But when he first started the medicine, and then for like just a little bit, I was like, well, right. So when does he turn into a twenty five or a twenty five foot tall well, raging maniac? Like it's all not, metaphorical instead, n- of course, but. Not all of our uh, not all of our movies about healthcare are super sad, <laughs> Doctor Man. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So. That's true. Well, I was literally <laughs> hoping we were going to have like a sixty foot tall woman sort of scenario, but with yeah, this dude, yeah. and I was like, "Is he going to like wake up?" I was. There was a moment where I was like, "He's going to wake up the next day, and his pants aren't going to fit." He's that would have made the yeah. fist fight. That would have made the fist fight with Walter Matthau a lot more interesting. If it's uh, a, a David and Goliath scenario where, like, yeah, Walter Matthau's yeah. having to throw stones at this giant man. Oh. Yeah. 
your tanks are no use uh, against me. And then pow, hits him in the head with a in the forehead with a yes. rock, and he goes down. Yes, uh, all very good. Uh, you know, just ratchet up that religious metaphor one more one more second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just one, uh, just one little one, just dash, just a little bit more. Well, well, on that image, I think we should pull this episode to a close. <laughs> We've been talking about Bigger Than Life from 1956, directed by Nicholas Ray, with James Mason, Barbara Rush, and Walter Matthau. Uh, really fun movie. Uh, you know, if if you're into uh, critiques good of movies. white America. Yeah, yeah, and good. Which movies. you're listening to this podcast, uh, so probably you are. Like probably, yeah. Next week we'll be starting a box set called "Letters from Fontenhas," uh, a box set of three films from Portuguese director Pedro Costa, beginning with his 1997 movie "Osos." So uh, look forward to that. Thank you. So much for listening, Lost and Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. been lost in criterion hosted by me adam glass find me on twitter at the adam glass my co-host is john patrick Obertari dorgan you can find him on twitter at j patrick dorgan big thanks to jonathan hape for our theme song check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service also thanks to all our patreon supporters itunes reviewers and redbubble customers and hey thank you for listening